Welcome back, everybody, ladies, gentlemen, gender non-binary folks in Appalachia and worldwide. This is Appalachia. Thank you so much for joining us. Appalachian natives, expats, or just sympathizers looking for a good time. Thank you for lending us your ear holes today. Appreciate it. We got a good one for you today, uh, John, but um, I think uh, to get started, I wanted to let you know, um, expressing some solidarity here, I uh, I did burn my Carhartt jacket. Carhartt? I did. I set it on fire because these companies, these woke companies like Carhartt, the working outfit, working outfit brand, working clothes brand, certainly not a Gucci. Uh, woke company Carhartt said that they were going to mandate that their employees get vaccines, which, um, listen, it's one thing to control a woman's body, but when they start controlling an employee's body, that's where I have to morally draw the line. I'm with you. It makes total sense. Look, but I do want to make a public announcement, Chuck. I think we need to do this. I I don't like I don't want people to waste perfectly good fires, okay? By burning their worthless, you know, this this awful car heart. I don't want them to waste a perfectly good fire. So instead, I want if you're going to burn it, pick it up, put it in a box. I want you to mail it, okay? Let's let's really own the libs, okay? Really own them right here, right now. P.O. Box 2466, Parkersburg, West Virginia, 26102. We will personally make sure that that Carhartt's taken care of for you. Yeah, we are so good at bonfires. And as you know, fires, they're finite. It's not like it uh, replicates itself when it hits more flammable objects. I mean, it's don't once waste it's it. gone, it's gone. It's like oil. Do not waste it. Yeah, don't waste it. Just... Say and save yourself the hassle of starting the fire, tending to the fire, putting the fire out. Okay. P.O. Box twenty four sixty six, Parkersburg, West Virginia two six one zero two. Just go ahead and send it. We'll dispose of that the garbage product for you, because yep. we would we'll not want our listeners to be representing an un-American company like that. Absolutely not. Mm-mm-mm. Nope. No. Um. So there's one thing I wanted to mention to you before we kind of get rolling into the actual thing, which is, um, have you watched uh, the show on HBO Euphoria? I've not. Okay, well, it's not entirely relevant, but lots of people are saying that it's super relatable, which I laughed at at first, because when I started watching it, like my impression of it was it's about high schoolers that just get absolutely blitzed out of their mind on on psychedelic drugs and doing rails of coke in the bathroom before fifth period and fucking like they're trying to repopulate a post-apocalyptic earth which was not exactly relatable to my experience of growing up in parkersburg initially but then one (laughs) of the characters mentioned that they only had one bathroom in their house and boom immediately relatable to me because you grew up with a one bathroom house right oh I grew up with a, a bathroom that was barely a one bathroom. Yep, yep. See, very relatable. Doing lines of coke in the bathroom, not quite as much, at least for me. At least for me. <laughs> yeah, I can't relate to that part, but I can relate to the one bathroom thing. And there were, uh, growing up, we had four, you know, there were four kids and my mom. One bathroom, everybody trying to get ready. I mean, it was incredible that we all finished school, to be honest with you. Yeah, I um I am with you and 
in fact, my sister missed the bus almost every single day of high school. So if my parents had not been able to take her, she would have not uh, have graduated. We, have, we had one bathroom growing up, and I could still remember my mom's uh, boyfriend's name, or whatever you want to call him, Paul, uh, one day there was a a water pipe underneath the bathroom and it completely broke. Right. And Paul was a very handy guy. Like he could fix stuff, but the way that he would fix stuff was like quick and fast and cheap. And it wasn't like putting things back, you know, how they probably should be sometimes, which don't get me wrong. Very thankful for all his help. But if you go in my mom's bathroom still, like the floor is still, all screwed up because we just had to get a floor in as quickly as possible. There's like drywall that it doesn't match anything else because we just had to get a new wall up. Like, cause we were poor. We didn't have any money to fix everything, you know? So half the time we were like going and buying, I kid you not. I didn't even know at the time that they had clearance drywall. Like they would put random pieces on on clearance and we would just buy the random pieces to use because that's what we could afford the funny part is with all the stuff that happened with that bathroom growing up the worst thing that happened okay going back to paul he he was actually fixing the tub we had to put a new tub in and again if you go look like the windows covered up because it's like one of those like um what do they call them? Like they're like fitted bathtubs. Like they come with the plastic around them, like the wall. Yeah. The things that you always see the model of in, in malls and stuff. Yeah. Right. We bought one of those on, we bought a thing of it on clearance, right? Thinking that we could just take that thing off and we couldn't, it was attached to the bath, bullshit. like the actual bathtub. It's fucked up. Right. And we didn't, we didn't have any tools to cut it. So still to this day, it is pushed up against the wall, covering <laughs> my mom's bathroom window. <laughs> It is the jankiest shit. And people often ask, like, John, why do you want Abpod Latcher to make a bunch of money? And it's literally so I could just fix that bathroom. <laughs> like, I none of it will go to me. It will go to fixing that damn bathroom. That's, that's, that's why we have a Patreon. It's the bathtub fund. <laughs> it's the bathtub, bathtub fund, fund, man. It's not even my bathtub. Hell no. It's my mom's. All right. I know that we've kind of gone off on, like, a tangent here, but I have one more point to bring up. And this is kind of like... Building to the point, the culmination here, and I know that you're going to relate to this. The ultimate sign of luxury growing up was if you had a half bath. Because, and let me just say, I didn't know they existed until I saw it at a friend's house once. I didn't even, I thought it was a joke. Didn't know it until I accidentally walked into one at my buddy's house. That's, that's how we all find out. Yeah. I thought it was because I could t- I could still remember it because it still like blows my mind. And unfortunately, I don't know if you know this guy, but he passed away, unfortunately. But I can still remember going to his house all the time. He lived up the road from me. And one day he was like, hey, you could put your boots and your coat in the closet. And I was like, oh, OK, great. You know, I walk over to this door. It's a whole half bath. I'm like, what is this? Like, where is the shower? <laughs> like, I, you know, I turn around. I said, man, I thought my bathroom was shitty. At least I got a, a bathtub that covers a window. I mean, that works at least. But turns out he had like three and that half one, too. Absolutely. Absolutely. The half bath is a class dynamic. It's class struggle. This is the bourgeoisie versus the proletariat. The bath and versus the half baths. All right. I'm and look, I'm not knocking half baths. I have one now and it's fucking awesome. 
But I use I thought that it was a joke when somebody first told me about a half bath because I had no idea about them growing up. And I was like, half bath? Like, what are you talking about? There's no half anything. You don't have a half bedroom or a half living room or a half kitchen. Like, what are you going to do? Go to your half stove? Sleep on my half bed? It makes no sense. Yeah. It's funny you mention that. There were two things, sorry, three things growing up that when I looked at a house, I thought you had money. And it was stairs. Because I always thought multiple uh, floors meant like more money, multiple bathrooms, and a garage. Those were the three things that I was like, if you have these, you why are you in Parkersburg? Because you're a multi-millionaire. You might as well be living on Sunset Boulevard with that that kind of that kind of bread. Yeah, that's why when we bought my house or we bought the house, I was like, it, it has a garage, it has two bathrooms, and it has multiple floors, and I. As soon as we moved in, congratulations, said, you're we rich. Made, we finally made it. We finally made it. But turns out it's not true at all, and I could promise you that from my bank account. <laughs> right. Goddamn right. Well, I, uh, you know, half bass, man. I have one now, and I feel like a king. I don't have one. I don't have a half bath. I only have the the two, like you know, one on the second, one on the third floor. But we have been thinking about maybe taking out one of the closets on the first floor, putting in a half bath. Oh, well, just yep. just be prepared when you get that half bath in there. You're going to have all your friends and family come groveling like, look at this. Look at this king. Look at this royalty with this half bath. So just prepare yourself. Oh, I know. People are going to I'm going to have. I'm going to have relatives I've never heard of come out like, of the woodwork. Yeah, well, now that you can afford a half bath, you can, uh, why are you bitching about student loans? Right. We ain't forgiving nothing. Listen, if Joe Biden forgives student loans, John's building that half bath, all right? So that's that's the whole thing. Oh, my God. If if they're, if those things are forgiven, I'm putting a half bath in. Shoot, I may even just build a house that's just one big bath. There, Yeah, a bath house, if, if I may. Yep. There you go. Yep. Very uh, culturally Greek. So, um, but speaking of bathhouses, you can support John and mine's bathhouse fund by going on our Patreon. If you're interested, just kidding. It just helps finance the show, not our bathhouses. If you're interested, go to pay- Patreon.com/slash/appodlatch, or we have a pay anything you want tier. So, uh, pay anything you want, whatever you want, whatever you can afford to go and have some fun, listen to the exclusives, and an exciting thing that we're starting to do because surprisingly a lot of people wanted to do it was we're going to start doing this kind of small little series on patreon where we interview some of our patreon members and kind of get to know the community there yeah uh that would be that's gonna be really cool i'm excited i'm excited for all the stuff we're doing on our patreon uh that'll be available i think to everybody um our ten dollar tier we have the cryptid bonus series and i think we're going to be doing some new stuff with that too maybe interviewing people who are involved with cryptids or, or maybe that aren't involved with cryptids. I'm not sure yet. Um, we're going to figure that out. But we did a poll, and it's pretty tied up right now. So not really sure what to do there. We'll, but we're, we'll do something. The other thing I want to say, I want to say thank you to everyone who supported us through the holiday season. Chuck, I'm sure you saw we, T Public reached out to us, said, Apod Laja was one of the top Entire on the entire website was one of the top merch stores for the entire holiday season. So we couldn't have done that without our listeners. So thank you very much. Uh, if you're interested in getting any of our merch, make sure you go to tpublic.com. 
and you can just search Abpod Latcher there. I always do a link, but the link's always wrong. So I don't want to tell you anything wrong. So go to tpublic.com and then just search Abpod Latcher. You'll be able to find all of our merch or it's in any of the links in our bios. Yeah. So, um, John, you know, burning Carhartts, it gets to be quite the task. You know, you're picking up these, these heavy coats, you're throwing them into a fire, you're tending the fire you know, you kind of get some joint pain. Maybe you're just feeling a little sore. Maybe you just need a pick-me-up. What better way to celebrate a Carhartt burning than to get some stuff from our friends at Cornbread Hemp CBD? There you go. Yes, uh, we love Cornbread Hemp. They're our sponsor. They've been our sponsor for a long time now uh, because we love them and because they offer great products. I know that you've tried several of them. I mention this literally probably every week. I try the gummies. I don't just try them. I've ordered them multiple times. I'm a repeat customer because they're so good. They're so delicious. They help me sleep. They help kind of dial it down in the head a little bit. I enjoy it. Um, John, there's a reason why they're so good, and you are so good at telling people, so why Look, don't you uh, let us know? I, people have got to be getting used to this by now, but I have to shout it to the heavens, Chuck. Cornbread hemp. We're so lucky to have them as sponsors, and you all are so lucky to be able to have access to their CBD. Let me tell you why. It's because they're flower only. They're full spectrum, and here's the kicker, USDA certified organic, so you know it's good the shit. good stuff, Chuck. It is the good stuff. You're not getting, what do they call it, any mid- is it mid? Is that what they call it? Mid? You're not getting any ditch. You're not getting any ditch CBD. Yeah. All right. You're not getting any playground CBD. Yeah. Shit you're not here. getting ditch. Nah. You're getting the good. You're getting the good stuff. And uh, make sure. Listen to me. We haven't we told haven't, Jim no. this is still going on. Okay. We. This is. We've. We've just kind of kept going by. So don't tell Jim. But go to cornbreadhemp.com. Fill up that cart. Take a look at that total. And then I want you to think. Wait a second. Chuck and Big John told me that I could save 25% off my order. And you know how you do that? You go down to the promo code section, you type in Apod Lacha, A-P-P-O-D-L-A-C-H-I-A, take 25% off that order, but please do us a favor, don't tell Jim unless you screenshot that order, tag us, and put hashtag don't tell Jim, and then it just gets fun. We're still waiting for y'all to do that. One person has done it, and it's still funny. And I laughed. It's still funny. I laughed hysterically. Yeah. I think we might have even quote tweeted it. I don't know. Oh, we definitely yeah, did. We, we sure did. did. We did. We definitely did. Well, yes, check it out. Uh, and just know that you're supporting a Kentucky-based family-owned company that is crowdfunded, uh, not venture capital funded. So you know you're getting the good stuff. You know you're supporting a local business that is doing really well right now, and we're really happy for them. And we thank them for sponsoring this show, and we thank you all for supporting us by supporting Cornbread Hemp. Um, okay, so today we are continuing this series. I'm not really sure what we're going to call this series but it's a series um where we've reached out to you i know a title okay go for it let it rip appalachia a series i mean question mark did that Ooh, appalachia a series i like it i'm that's it signed sealed and <laughs> delivered brand that that's it appalachia a series question mark <laughs> relocating to Appalachia or moving to Appalachia, I should say relocating a little bit better way of wording it. But either way today we asked you all for people who have moved to Appalachia, who were not from here, what got you to move to the region? And one of the reasons why we wanted to ask that is because Appalachia 
more so than probably any other region of the country, suffers from brain drain. It suffers from a population loss. And, you know, there's a lot of reasons for that. But something to look at is why people are moving here. And by maybe gathering some information on why people move here, we can sort of infer what are the good things that we can keep doing or, uh, or what we should be doing to draw more people here. Um, or at the very least, it's an interesting thought discussion with a bunch of people who replied to this, which all their stories were fascinating. Yeah, I think it's only right. I mean, I, and this is one thing I think that Appalachia researchers, uh, which I'm going to get killed by saying that, um, but but people who really uh, who study the region, I think, overlook why Yes, we have a ton of people leaving, but why are people still coming? Because there are people that still moved to Appalachia. That's still happening. So the question is, how did they? Get, why are they coming? For one, and two, how can we use that knowledge to then assess the rest of the region and hopefully figure out some of the the main things to get people back in the door? Yeah, absolutely. Because look, like we have. We are not sugarcoating and we're not being apologists. There are some major problems in Appalachia that cause people to leave. And and if you've listened to Plenty. our previous episodes, we've gone over several of those, including my own. Um, but one thing that, that I think, yeah. and I agree with you, I think it does get overlooked because a lot of times the discussion is on diagnosing the problem, right? Of like, okay, why are people leaving? Which is totally right and needs to be done. Um, but what gets less attention, and I'm sure there's a lot of academic research on it too. I'm not saying there's not, but what gets less attention is this of like the people that are, what, what is working, what you tinker around with it, what is working. And so, um, and maybe that's not the best way to frame this. I don't know. Everybody's experience is different, but I think the least we can do is delve into some of these reasons and try to draw some inferences from it. Yeah. We just, I guess my point is we can't ignore, uh, why some people are coming because I do think that. For a lot of the times we look at the research and show, okay, there's two th- two people that are leaving. Uh, for the longest time, it was old people who were leaving because they didn't want to pay Social Security tax, uh, which a lot of the states in Appalachia still force people to do. Or two, it's young people leaving because they have to leave for jobs, brain drain, etc. But I think it's only smart of us to then say, okay, we know those problems. We, we're trying to combat them as best we can. But what if we took a look at what was bringing some people in and try and maybe use that to our advantage. It's not going to solve everything, but maybe we can use it, you know, for a slight advantage. Go for it. So John, you're going to start. Um, You've got an example from uh, a response from somebody that follows us on social media. Yeah. The reason I want to bring this up too, is because we often talk about the beauty around Appalachia and the things, you know, the one, the reasons why people leave, but two, kind of the beauty within Appalachia that's sometimes being forced out, I guess. But there, there was a reply that I, I, I never even thought of. We talk about recreation all the time, Chuck, about how that could be used as a huge benefit. And normally we talk about like biking, you know, like riding motor, riding mountain bikes, stuff like that. This person said, I haven't moved there yet, but I plan to because of twisty roads for motorcycle riding and awesome hiking in the Smokies. Again, the reason I want to bring that up is because we did, I mean, we had an entire discussion about this before where a lot of the times we look at, you know, obviously there's not jobs here. Some amenities are lacking, but one of the big things that we can start to take advantage of are the recreational possibilities here and allowing, 
younger people to come here and do these types of things because they can't do it all across the country. Appalachia is very unique when it comes to what they can offer recreationally and put a unique twist on it. And I think that this was just a good comment that showed that that is really still a reason people come here. Yeah, it is. And it's, it's an important one. And I think like, to some extent it ends up being a little cliche, I guess, because I mean, that, that is something that people talk about a lot, but it's important. And it's something that like, you know, what they tell you in school, lean into your strengths or when they tell you, they didn't tell me that on the soccer field, they usually just said, get off the field. But for the players that actually had skills, they would tell lean into your strengths. And so I think that that's something that Appalachia could really do and, and is doing, I think. Um, but maybe as a way of marketing to people, of bringing more people there, because I think um, I think that people view Appalachia in terms of the prism that they understand it to be. And so by trying to get people to see different parts of it, understand, you know, that there is like this, no, it's not just the mountains. There's so much about it. There's so much of an outdoor recreational environment and culture to the region. I think that's a, a big part of it is that there's a recreational culture as well as amenities. Um, so that's, I mean, it is really important. So, um, you know, a lot of what I saw was related to the natural scenery, right? And um, and so mm -hmm. I, I think I saw, I won't share all of them, but there were several responses that said, you know, now that I'm working remotely, either I moved here because I can work remotely or that I plan to move there because I'm now able to work remotely as long as the opportunity presents itself, as long as like I'm able to work remotely in Appalachia, which I found to be really interesting and something, you know, we've talked about on several occasions um, about like how important broadband and just reliable high-speed internet is in general to Appalachia's future. This is a big part of it. There are people, so many people that work remotely now. I don't have the statistic in front of me, but the economy like the job economy has changed fundamentally since the pandemic. And now more people than ever are able to work remotely. So you start to look at what those barriers to entry to Appalachia were, one of which was jobs being a huge part of it. And suddenly that is not as big of a problem. And the problem lies with making people or enabling people to be able to do their job there. Because if you can work remotely and you want a place that's beautiful that's got a lower cost of living and that allows for a little bit simpler life rather than the hustle and bustle of a like a New York City or something like that or, or wherever, it doesn't have to be a huge city, then Appalachia as a region is a very enticing place. So I, I thought that was interesting and I think it's something that, I know there's a lot of discussion about, it. you know way more than I do about the whole broadband thing and like, you know, I, you see all these headlines about got a grant here and a grant there of like how much of that is actually making a difference. I don't know. Um, I'm sure you have a better sense of that than I do. Broadband's expensive, man. It's just so expensive and getting people. The big thing is, and, and this is what sucks is you kind of have to have people come into an area before broadband is even probably going to be a possibility just because of how much it costs to put broadband there. So they need the population, the homes, etc. But I will say that I think some of the, I, I don't know what I, I would categorize, maybe larger rural cities. So like, for instance, I put a Parkersburg in that, right? Because it's probably more rural than other places, but it's still a pretty big city when it comes to West Virginia. Uh, you know, 
Charleston, I think, is a bit bigger, but you still get the point, right? That, I think, is those those cities, that level, that level of population, the amenities there, etc. I think that's where people are going to start looking to move because one, it costs less than major cities, obviously. Two, it has enough amenities to where it's at least attract, you know, it's attractive enough, I guess is what I can say. And three, it has broadband already in place. So if you have a high paying, pretty high paying remote job and you're looking for a place that you can live, that has the things that you want and that's affordable, Those towns, those cities, that's where they need to start taking advantage of that and saying, look, we got everything you want, or at least we have enough of what you want. Our home prices are super low compared to where you're probably living now, and we have reliable internet. And to be fair, if you have Sunlink, that's probably not true. Uh, But the big thing here... Yeah, Sunlink sucks. But anyway, the big thing here is just to remember... uh, we can we can talk, I guess, about this to death, but really until these cities start to realize that this is a big place that they can make a huge jump, we're, it, it's such a missed opportunity until somebody starts taking advantage of it. I mean, this could be massive for pretty much every state in the entire region, but I don't see enough taking advantage of it. Yeah, I I completely agree. Like, Remote work is here to stay. It, it's not going anywhere, especially with how much how much more flexible people can be if you have children or you just have like complicated lives, family, that kind of thing. Um, it's here to stay. It's not going anywhere. And the, the choice is on states, localities, regions to figure out what to do with that and to use their advantage. And it's a golden goose opportunity. Um, there is one story I wanted to share. It doesn't really require much discussion. I just thought it was really wonderful story. I wanted to share it. Um, some person said that my family moved from India because of the natural beauty in Appalachia. My dad said it seemed like the ideal place for children. My mom said it reminded her of The Sound of Music, the first English language film she saw as a child. I thought that was a really cool story, and I think it it is indicative of what the appeal can be for a place like this, for a place like Appalachia, and <laughs> obviously it's a diverse region and, and parts of it are different than others, but... Um, I just wanted to share that one because I thought it was neat. Uh, There is one, though, that I think we should talk about. Um, This one I just added. So this person said that they came for grad school at Western Carolina University, which is in Western North Carolina, uh, because of their really good psychology program and lived in relatively rural areas while completing my coursework and internship first year of career as a school psychologist. I then moved to nearby Asheville. I continue to commute half an hour into a more rural county to work as a school psychologist, but I like the amenities that Asheville has to offer. I'm also a musician and really love being part of Asheville's rich music community. Working in these areas has taught me a lot about the struggles of the region as well as the resiliency of its people. Um, And then they also said they met their wife, who is from Eastern Kentucky there. So this is actually kind of bookends your point that you you mentioned earlier. Now, Asheville is a much bigger city than a Parkersburg, but I think that the region can capitalize on some of these anchor cities like your Asheville's, like your Knoxville's, like your Chattanooga's. Uh, even your Pittsburgh's, for example, um, or I mean, even the smaller ones like Parkersburg, uh, but but especially places like Asheville, where it is a really cool place to live. It's a very cool city um, and one that, that gets people into a beautiful part of the region and can kind of spread growth out um, like that. I, I That's one thing. I mean, and I know there's gonna be a lot of people that are like, well, like 
like gentrification stuff in Asheville is a problem, and that's absolutely true. Um, but I think there's going to be problems with anything, no matter what happens. But enticing people to come to a region like Appalachia means one breaking down stereotypes about it and and educating people on what Appalachia actually is, and two, it's presenting opportunities in places where there's still a lot to do because we've talked about this throughout this series about how amenities, especially for millennials and Gen Z is extremely important uh, about being able to, you know, embrace a diverse culture where you live and, and have a lot of stuff to do. And that's a play. Asheville is a perfect example of that. Yeah. I think some of these cities need to start taking advantage of being so close. Like for instance, I think Wheeling, West Virginia really needs to take advantage of being so close to Pittsburgh a little bit more. They need to almost clarify or classify themselves almost like an outside suburb of it. Yeah, it's it's still a little while away, but I think it's close enough and you're starting to see enough growth there that you could probably justify it. And there's plenty of people who make that commute all the time. And I think if you start to maybe advertise that, show that, and incorporate that into your messaging, I think you're going to start seeing a, a higher population. And if you notice the movement throughout the state of West Virginia, for instance, it's been north up towards Wheeling, and I think it's because of the proximity to Pittsburgh and the growth there. So it's allowed people to capitalize. I think that's where you're really going to see a benefit. I think that there's too many cities, like your Parkersburg, you know, that kind of size, or um, I'm trying to think of the equivalent, Kentucky size city, but I'm trying to, uh, so I keep saying uh, people, uh, like, uh, uh, Pike, Pikeville maybe, or, um, uh, what's, yeah, the, Pikeville's one that's on a good the one? what's the one that's on the border of, uh, Ashland? Ashland's good. Yeah. Ashland's good. Uh, yeah. So like, you know, your Ashland stuff like that, that's where there's too many cities that size that don't want to admit that they're just another like suburb or whatever you know close proximity to a larger city i think that that has this weird like almost ego effect i don't know i mean it's so weird to me because you could really start to capitalize on that and you're going to anyway even if you don't strategize it but i think you're just gonna it's gonna be even better for you if you do so i you know i think that's why you're seeing the growth there these bigger cities you gotta i mean if you're a smaller one you gotta you gotta jump on that and and hold on for dear life because if not you're gonna continue to kind of be pushed away like some of these other places in in these states I've, i found one that i think is really good uh this one is from our instagram it says learn to see the region through the lens of lifelong residents uh they tag somebody and family when you hear all the wonders known to generations it's easy to see the draw the mountains have always felt like home and 20 years later i still unclench my jaw when i see them on the horizon it's magic and i think that the reason i wanted to bring this up is because we look we talked about it before the exploitation of resources around the region and one of those being the mountains i think people underestimate that draw the the you know the i guess just the the actual range of the mountains throughout the region that's a huge draw for people to move here but we've essentially sold a lot of it away. We, you know, it's not protected as much anymore. It hasn't been the focus. I mean, shit, West Virginia is called Mountain Mama for a reason, right? But again, we're not protecting the reason it's called that. So it's one of those things that I think people just have to 
and obviously not just normal people, you know, the people at the top have to start saying like, man, if we start really letting all of our natural resources go, especially the ones that are, you know, the attraction, we're screwed in the long run because we're already screwed right now. And I don't think that's going to happen if you look at what's going on around the region right now. But I just wanted to point that out because I think people do overlook, we talk about like, you know, the beautiful landscapes, but I wanted to point out the mountains in particular. Yeah, I think, well, and I'm glad you mentioned this because it, it segues really good into the next one I'm going to mention here in a second. But I do think lots of people desire a aesthetically pleasing place to live. I mean, how many how many people love opening their window and looking out onto just nothing, no scenery, no nothing. Not many people. Some do. Not many though. Um, and I'm actually I'm, I remember uh, um, you know talking to my brother in law who lives in Florida, um, where they they don't have mountains. I think the highest natural point of elevation is 375 feet uh, in Florida. Um, and so they don't have, ma- wow. they have a lot of other natural beauty, of course, but, uh, whenever we mention like driving through the mountains, he always gets really excited because he loves the mountains and it's just something they don't see there. And so it's something that is, I think, a highly desirable thing for a lot of people. Um, but with that comes the care of them and the protection of them, which, which has been sometimes lacking. Uh, one thing though, and I think this actually is a good segue because it relates to taking care of our natural resources, which is one person said that they moved to the region for a nonprofit job helping the region transition to a clean energy economy um, and then mountains and mountains and mountains. So I think this one's really important. And we've talked about clean energy to some extent on this show in the past, but I really feel like this is an opportunity to bring in and attract people to the region that may not otherwise have even given it a second thought. Cause like the clean energy economy is growing rapidly. Um, I think uh, I just see energy economy in general is, but especially clean energy jobs. Um, and if you look at just the trajectory of those for the future, I mean, coal jobs are on the decline. I think even natural gas might be as well. I'm not sure about that, but like when, when, wind energy jobs, solar energy jobs are going to be increasing more, I think in the future, like, clean energy car jobs, sustainable building jobs, those types of things. And a lot of that could be happening in the region, I think. Like, I'm not an economist. I'm not a green jobs economist. But you look at the energy economy in the region and its transition, there's something there. And that could, like, clean energy jobs are are popular among people who are in school right now. Like, a lot of people that, that want to work in energy want to work in clean energy. And there's a real opportunity to bring people into the region if the right investments are made and if the right policy decisions are made. Right now, I don't think at a macro level for the region they are, and that's a problem. Because, again, this is an opportunity should the right people who make the decisions choose to take it. Yeah, I think uh, West Virginia and Maryland are really good examples of this because when you're going through West Virginia, a lot of the times you see you know, these older coal towns that are kind of you know they're abandoned now they don't have any real economy left then you've got and you have a you know a legislature that the entire time they're talking about how they don't want to move towards a green economy because they're so hooked on the one thing that honestly is just not getting it done anymore and we know that but then you go over the state line to maryland and there's hundreds of thousands of solar panels there's wind turbines there's a there's so much stuff and then 
there there's even an entire uh i don't remember if it's exxon somebody an oil company owns it which i thought was funny but it's an entire solar farm bp i know it's, i know exactly okay, which one you're talking about yep yeah so but you don't see that in west virginia even though if you look at any breakdown west virginia kentucky tennessee they're all great states for solar but we refuse to acknowledge it because oh, by god it might just make us some money <laughs> And it's one of those things like, you know, we talked about before, as you have people who are bought and sold by these oil companies, you're never going to be able to move along and it's, it's going to continue. And look, I don't have to say this because I'm sure most people know, but as the legislative session starts in West Virginia, go take a look at their priorities and you'll see why West Virginia is not going to move forward in 2022 Go look at Kentucky, what's going on there. You'll see why it's really struggling again. It's one of those things that continues to happen. But I wanted to use that, you know, that example of West Virginia and Maryland to show just how close change could be, but so far away at the same time. Yeah. Uh, I'm not saying that correlation necessarily means causation, but I do want to point out that West Virginia's population declined by 3.2% from 2010 to 2020. And Maryland's rose by 7%. So, um, yeah. Because Maryland's making moves, man. They're making moves. They have a strong economy. They're, the jobs are plentiful. It, You know, it, it's pretty obvious why people people move there. Shit, just look at teachers. Teachers are a great example. They're paid like, what is it, like 30% more in Maryland if they cross the border? Yeah. To do the That's same job? Like... Why wouldn't they leave? I, I don't blame anybody because it's honestly right now. And people are going to probably hate me for this. It's better to live there right now. I, I think that's an objective. <laughs> Point fact. Blank. I, don't, I don't think that as far as like economically yeah. speaking, especially if you're a teacher, my God, which like nowhere is great for teachers, but I, I mean, I would probably argue that environmentally it's better too. Oh, for sure. Yeah. Economically, environmentally, uh, we're I not guess a, they're necessarily legis- a pro Maryland podcast, but you know we're not against it. <laughs> hey, they're part of, according to ARC, they're part of of Appalachia. Don't hate me. I just said, you know, ARC. Calm down. I got one more that I want to mention because I do have to go eat dinner. Uh, Same to both. This one I just wanted to mention because I think it's a good wrap up, and and it's, I guess, a little less. Uh, specific the music the people the mountains the desire to move out of the city and have some room to breathe i am from new york but somehow west virginia has always felt like home i thought that that was really important because we you know we often talk about very large urban areas having you know great job prospects and you know some sometimes better environmental prospects but then you start to think about it too and that's where some of these areas in Appalachia are able to kind of capitalize on being so small is because a lot of people don't like the congestion of large areas. They don't like how many people are there. They don't like that it takes forever to get somewhere in their car. But, you know, places in Appalachia don't have that problem. It's more kind of an open feel. And if you didn't pay attention to the politics, it'd probably feel a lot more welcoming too. Uh, unfortunately, politics kind of stop that sometimes. But the other big thing that I wanted to mention there 
is the music. And we talked about this like last year on how we thought that Appalachian music and folklore, but really music could be used as a massive benefit for the region because it, it has this, I don't even know what you'd call it. It has this draw that people love and they want to hear more of it. I think Tyler Childers is a really good example of it. You just, you listen to his music. You're like, shit, that is good. Like point blank. It's good. But he does. I don't even think he gets enough love, but a lot of Appalachian artists who are really, really, really good get ignored because of that, because of where they're from, to be honest. If we were to able to amplify that, find a way to do it. I think you'd start to see more, you know, more, I don't know if you call them clubs, but more, uh, places to perform come in. You'd have more interest in, yeah, more venues. You'd see more interest from people outside the region wanting to come here to see a specific act, right? You wouldn't just see it in Nashville or some of these other big cities. You'd see it all across the region. And I think one with the power of the internet, we have that ability, but two, I think it just has to be a correlated effort. I don't know how you would do it, but I'm so sick of seeing a lot of Appalachian musicians overlooked when honestly, they're probably some, they, they probably are the best in the country in my opinion. Yeah. I, I do think that there is, is an entertainment industry possibility that, that's kind of untapped at this point. I really do. Cause there's a lot of potential for that. There's certainly plenty of talent. Um, and you've seen where other cities, other places rather have wrestled the reins away from the powerhouses of different industries. Perfect example uh, Atlanta and parts of North Georgia are a really huge part of the film industry now. It's not just all based in Los Angeles. West Virginia used to be. What? West Virginia used to have a ma- a pretty large spot in that too, and they took away the one reason that. Uh, Sorry, I left. They would film here, and that was they had a film tax credit. No, they had a film tax credit, and they took that away, and they saw a bunch of people essentially say, "Okay." Uh, if you're not going to give us that tax credit, we're going to move production. And then you see the increase from there. Georgia was already kind of going up, but they took a significant bump when that started to happen. Well, that was fucking stupid of them. Uh, it was very bad. It was a very bad idea. Yeah. Well, anytime you take away a tax credit from the industry, whether or not you agree with tax credits, which they're thorny, complicated subjects, but anytime you take it away, uh, the industry's not going to like that. And we'll probably right. do something because that's, that's Georgia. They have great tax credits for them. That's there. that's why they're so good. And West Virginia used to have that ability and then one all of a sudden they they said nope, no more film tax or film tax credit. That is um uh in Nashville, that's a lot of uh the reason why they ended up having the TV show Nashville filmed there. Um and so a lot of Nashville yeah. natives will be like poo poo that, which uh, there's a lot of issues with that. I I get it. Uh but it was a huge boom like economically for the city. There's a lot of problems that come from that, so nobody get onto my case about that. I understand them very well. Right. Uh, but suffice it to say, just from an industry bringing jobs, that's 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 a one way to do it. Uh, here's my last one on Instagram. It uh, says, no one does it better than her. I did definitely choose her over any other trader. During those turbulent days, I invested $3,000. To my biggest shock, I got a return of 25000 <laughs> Sorry, we get a lot of spam. Uh... We get a lot of spam. Uh Though my real one is, it's kind of like yours. Um, Affordable land, quiet, autonomy, feeling at home in a working class place, i.e. less yuppies. All right? This one hit for me. Uh, I'm not trying to paint with a broad brush for all of the D.C. metro area, 
But there are a lot of people in D.C. that are very yuppie and very, I think, really obsessed with themselves. Um, there's a mm-hmm. joke that, uh, you know, every time you go into a bar, the only thing people want to talk about is uh, their job and asking you about your job because uh, either they want to know so they can feel better about themselves or they want to try to network with you. And it's not a job. It's a fact. Um, or it's not a joke. It's a fact. But I, I do think that, especially you mentioned before with people living in big cities, that's where the opportunity has been, the job opportunity for the past, you know, however many years. Like that's, and we've talked about, that's why I moved. Um, And that's why lots of people flock to New York City, flock to Los Angeles, to Chicago, to Houston, to, you know, what have you. That's changing now because of the nature of remote work and a lot of other things. And people are starting to reevaluate what type of cultural feel they want for their home. And this is a really important thing. And I, I think like when, I don't know about you, but when I was younger, I did not think about that as much. Like when I first graduated from college or when I just first went to college um, or when I first graduated from law school, like I, I wanted somewhere I could make good money. And I also wanted to be in an exciting place and like see all these new places and stuff. And, and you don't think about like how you're building a life somewhere, which when you mention like the congestion of a big city, that's a huge part for people who are trying to start a family. New York city is very hard to do that. Um, and, and not be like, you know, like impoverished completely. Uh, and, and Appalachia is a place where that is possible. And so I think it's not like, this is not some great revelation or anything like, but it bears repeating because it is an important part of it. And part of that might be capitalizing off that fact when it comes to actually trying to draw more people yeah, in. I think that's, that's fair. It's one of those things. And that's my I think thoughts. the big thing that I kind of want, I, it kind of hit me when you were talking was it's a lot of the times I think Appalachia gets overlooked too, because it is honestly really bad at marketing itself. A lot of the region is. And one of those being keyword here, opportunity, right? Like New York city is a great example because it's like the land of opportunity, right? But if you actually go and look into the things of New York city, the poverty rate is pretty high. The cost to live there is astronomical to the point where people are paying like $2,000 a month to have a shared bathroom. I mean, it's insane stuff, but they're, and not everybody's going to make it. That's the, that's the other thing is like, well, you you know, give it a shot. Not everybody's going to make it, but you can't tell me with all the remote work with the ability to use social media, to become a a famous, you know, famous influencer to do all of these things. I really feel like Appalachia has the opportunity to start to market itself as you know, a, a better option to, to have some success. I mean, I, it's got to break the mold of if you're moving to Appalachia, it's because you're, you know, you're going to deal with poverty and blah, blah, blah. I think the marketing just kind of sucks for the region overall. The States in the region don't do a great job when it comes to marketing themselves. And a lot of that is because they've done such a terrible job elsewhere, but I do think that there are places that marketing is key and messaging. And I think that has to be a significant factor moving forward as well. Oh, it absolutely does. I think that's one of the biggest things, right? And and it sounds simple and people kind of scoff at the idea of marketing, but it's a big part of it. I mean, look at, you look at any successful marketing campaign, right? 
um, for states, you know, uh, and it makes a huge difference because that dictates your perception of that place. Um, and, and there's, it's not a coincidence. Like, look, um, for example, to your point about people moving out of cities, San Francisco, I think, still holds the title as most expensive city in America. Um, and it's extremely densely populated. It actually might be the most densely populated city in America. It's, it's remarkably small for how many people who live there. Um, I was looking, and uh, the people moving out of San Francisco, I think, over the course of 2021, jumped 21%. Because it, not only, like, I think a lot of the nature of, adv- uh, or the advent of remote work uh, allowed people to kind of reevaluate what they found important about a place. And so San Francisco is extremely expensive. A lot of tech workers saw this as an opportunity to move elsewhere because they couldn't, they, they wanted to be able to, you know, save more money instead of living in the most expensive city in the country. And a lot of people just can't afford to live in a place like that anymore. And so if you can work remotely and not have to live in the most expensive city in the country, why would you? It's, it, this is a, this is a huge thing that Kristen and I are considering right now because we live in the D.C. metro area, which is one of the most expensive places to live in the country. And we're, I'm working remotely. She's currently like working mostly remotely, and we're considering, like, you know, how can we do that in a cheaper place? Yeah. I think everybody is. I mean, I, I really do. And obviously there are going to be some jobs and some obstacles and things like that, that, you know, it's just not going to transition. Well, however, I do think you're going to see more of that, but in order, in order to capitalize, you've got to be able to tell people why. And unfortunately right now we don't see that from the region. They, they're not able to tell you their why, why should you move here versus why should you move elsewhere? And the reason why is because they've done a terrible job and a lot of things, to be honest, but they've done a very bad job at marketing. Because if you look a lot of the times with marketing, when it comes to these states, they almost play into the stereotypes and it doesn't work. When I think especially in elected levels, you have a lot of people that are completely out of touch with what people want nowadays. Um, And I'll take a not like this is a Republican and Democrat problem. I will take a knock at some Republican leadership. They love to brag about things like, oh, look at how good our credit rating is. <laughs> I can tell you how many people give a shit about that. It is zero who are looking to to move to a new state. Now, uh, state income tax certainly is part of it, uh, but a low credit rating nobody or great credit rating for a state, nobody. I, don't, I can't even tell you what that means practically. Uh, but what people do care about is a place that's reflective of, of the values that they, they share and that, that want to live in a place where they're going to feel accepted and loved and not shunned for who they are. And that's where a lot of times these state legislative bodies and state leadership in general fall short. Yeah. The last thing I want to mention is what you just said there, too. Some people are not going to like this, okay? And I'm just looking at this from a strategy perspective. And I think one of the states in Appalachia is like this. Tennessee does not have a state income tax, right? Nope. Okay. I honestly think more Appalachian states need to go to that to attract people to move here. The reason being is it's a very attractive thing. So when you don't have the jobs that maybe some of these other places do, but you can incentivize through that. I mean, that's not a bad thing. 
So I have a lot of thoughts on that. I'm not necessarily there with you, and I, but I'm not not, maybe? I don't know. It, I have a lot of problems with that because of how you replace the revenue. But l- let me just yep. say real quick, moving from Tennessee to Virginia sucked because I saw a lot more money get taken out of my paycheck, which was super lame, sure. so didn't like that. But the thing I don't like about just flat up saying like yes we need to have we need to eliminate the state income tax in these states and let me just say i'm not a policy wonk i'm not a budget person so take that with a grain of salt don't look at me as an expert please in order to do that you have to find a way to replace that revenue because already a place like west virginia for example is struggling to fund necessary services and they do have a state income tax which a lot of people especially like poorer people could extremely benefit from it. that's why like i think it's first of all i think you should do a state income tax that's that's a progressive income tax that the very progressive income tax that uh taxes people that make sure. more money at a higher rate and has a pretty high cutoff but that's just my own personal opinion but uh, i do wonder um how you're going to replace that revenue and it, because the problem then becomes it's like oh we're gonna have to raise tax on something else who does that hurt um, so that would be my question for that. Like, I, I think it's it would get more people interested, more businesses interested for sure. But oftentimes the problem is that policymakers only think about the businesses. They don't think about the people, the human impact, the people who already live there, who's sacrificing things so that these businesses can get tax credits and can avoid state income taxes. That's the type of thing that I think there's not enough discussion about. And that's something I noticed when I was in Tennessee you know, the governor would do a big ribbon cutting for uh, the Beretta facility to move into Gallatin or wherever and bring 600 new jobs. But that that's a great headline, but it doesn't tell you the full story. And those are good jobs. I'm not knocking that at all. I'm just saying that there there has to be more consideration than just the headline and the numbers. Uh, because whenever you cut out revenue, somebody always suffers. Oh, for sure. It's not something you could do overnight uh, at all. It would take some type of significant increase i don't know like uh maybe partially legalizing marijuana and creating a new tax stream uh you know it's going to be stuff like that but you're right you have to put that in place in order to start to justify some of these changes so you know it is taken with obviously a grain of salt but i i guess in general i'm thinking the region has to do something like that i guess is kind of the thing I, I agree. They need to figure out something. Um, and, and just as an example here, and we can get off the subject, I found this really quickly. And so, for example, some states, how they make up their revenue, and I'm sorry because this gets a little budget wonky, but so for Tennessee, and I remember this, they have a high sales tax. And in Nashville, the sales tax, because you have a state sales tax and the city one, it's almost 10%. It's pretty high. Uh, they also have the highest beer tax, I think, in the country. Um, New Hampshire, they tax on interest of an income. Florida imposes a corporate income tax. Um, Texas has high property tax. Washington state has high gas taxes and high state and local taxes. So there's ways to do it, but a sales tax, for example, is inherently regressive. And so that's something that is not an attractive thing for people that live I there, agree. especially lower income people. So it's a struggle, but I agree with you. There has to be some sort of solution to, to, to incentivize people economically to move there yeah yeah sales taxes is, is very regressive and it only hurts the poorest of the poor and that's unfortunate 
And that, that that's definitely one thing you want to avoid. That's why I'm saying instead of raising taxes on on people, I think you're going to have to just create a new revenue stream. Yeah. And and hey, weed, there you go. One way to do it, like you said. I mean, that's it. I mean, that helps. Fucking helps, know? man. Well, we can end it there. I know that we got to we got to be moving on. Uh, but that was good. That was a good discussion. Um but to end it, as mm-hmm. we always do, let's uh let's cruise right on into the beef. Um John, if you're cool with that, they call him the Machine Gun Kelly of beef, so dedicated to the beef that he gets engaged to it and drinks its blood under a banyan tree. When people say he smells like beef, he responds with, "I am beef." Beef with Big John. If you bother by heat, back up off the grill. My boy Big John's finna fix you up a meal. Yeah, your brother rules. That's a big deal. Got your mouth full, but it don't matter still. Y'all want some beef with Big John. But at the same time, don't you beef with Big John. Trying to be the man, but you sweet when it's time. Open up wide, it'll leave till it's gone. Eat your beef with Big John. Eat your beef with Big John. I am beef with Big John. Okay, I was gonna do a, a serious... A lot I of like the that. old references. Uh... I was going to do a serious beef, but then I don't, I don't want to. That's really the case. So, and I guess this is kind of serious as a Bengals fan. Okay. This week, Chuck, I've got beef with the Cincinnati Bengals offensive line. Oh, wow. You mean like the lack thereof? Right. They got our boy, fellow Appalachian, Joe Burrow, absolutely destroyed against the 10 and they've done it all year he's one of the most sad quarterbacks i think he actually might be the most sad quarterback they're killing our 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 boy joe burrow from athens ohio and it kills me to say that because obviously we're Bengals fans we're glad that they're winning but we got to protect we got to protect that asset okay protect that asset we got to protect Joe Burrow at all costs. Athens, Ohio boy. Okay. I've never seen so much local happiness when it comes to Joe Burrow. Like people, when you go to Athens, they're like, that's our guy. Like we want, like, like we helped him get there and they have this sense of community and it's great. It's fantastic to have an Appalachian that's killing it in a professional sports league, especially the NFL. But that offensive line, man, I don't know what's going on, but they're getting him killed to the point where, I mean, look, that's how impressive he is. I mean, he's still throwing for 300 yards and getting killed, but imagine I mean, what he would do if he wasn't yeah, getting give destroyed. Give him the Super Bowl right now if that was the case. I I, uh, I kind of view the offensive line, I'm going to put a little biblical you. spin on this. They're kind of uh, like a the Apostle Peter from the Bible. You know how uh, uh, Peter disappointed Jesus uh, by denying him three times? Well, uh, they disappointed Joe Burrow by getting him sacked nine times, so it's almost like they're three times worse than the Apostle Peter. Yeah, look, it's awful. It's so bad, and that kills me. Look, I want to be specific. The right side of the offensive line is atrocious. I don't know what they're paying them, but they should have to pay it back. I mean, it's that bad. And... You can't, there's got to be somebody that will protect Joe Burrow. There has to be. <laughs> Go to Athens. I bet you'll find some big dude that will protect Joe Burrow at all costs. We were just we were just talking about how we make up for lost tax revenue. Well, you just tax the offensive line of the Cincinnati Bengals a lot more, and that'll make up for some of it. Yeah, so the I guess the other thing to throw in is we got to have beef with the NFL officiating because they did not want the Bengals to win that game, Chuck. But Joe Burrow... The 
I think the the Appalachian of the year right now is just continuing. I was gonna say it's it's close. Yeah. And if he brings a Super Bowl to Cincinnati, I mean, shoo. Oh shit! It, I'm just saying he's gonna be up there. He's gonna be up there with the big names. Uh, he's not gonna reach Dolly level, obviously, but. We may be talking about a Joe Burrow, maybe Tyler Childers type ranking. He's going to be up there, man. I mean, they're, they're a, a statue at the at a minimum, you know. He's 25, and they've already named the high school stadium after him. <laughs> Which it's like, how do you go up from there? I mean, uh, you know, they may, might as well name the high school after him at this point because, you know, why not? If he brings uh, a also, championship oh, to Cincinnati, they probably will. Someone said there was a, Oh, okay, so it is. All right. Uh, so um, I did want to point out to you, because uh, somebody did mention this on our uh, on our Twitter when we posted about it, that there is another native Appalachian on the Bengals that had Fort a pretty what? good day, which is the kicker, uh, Evan McPherson. Evan McPherson. Who is from Fort Payne, Alabama, which if you go by the ARC definition of Appalachia, wow. is part of Appalachia. So, so that's a two heavy hitters right there. I mean, my God. Okay. Let me tell you how cool Evan McPherson is. This this kid is a rookie. They He has to go out and hit a 52-yard field goal to win the game, to send the Cincinnati Bengals to the AFC Championship. He, they call a timeout with three seconds left. He looks at Joe Burrow and says, well, boys, I guess we're going to the AFC championship and walks out and drills a 52 yarder. That's um, pimp shit right there. My God. I mean, he just look, it's that I got to be honest. It's the Appalachian in him. Okay. That's what I'm thinking. Always considered counted out, but then shows up, man. Kickers just have so much confidence. I'm so jealous. And he is so good. Like, it's insane. He's a fifth-round pick, which is super high for a kicker. Uh, he, If you go look up his TikTok, he's, like, kicking footballs to hit Gatorades on top of the stadium. Like, he's that accurate. It's insane. Damn. He's the Ronaldinho of NFL kickers. Somebody will get that right. He reference. is the Dwayne Johnson. He is the Dwayne Johnson of <sighs> kicking. Wow. Everybody that, loves him. I thought Dwayne Johnson was the Dwayne Johnson of kicking. He honestly kicking ass. All right. All right. Kicking ass, taking names. Kicking, yeah. What a what a way to end it there. Um I know that you we've got to do an exclusive and we've both got to eat. So um that was a good good beef. It ended up on a positive note. We'd love to see it. Um and hopefully, you know what, here's the thing. Real um, you know, real time opportunity for someone for the, the subject of the beef to remedy it and we'll see if it happens. I'm with you. I'm yeah, so we're looking at you, offensive line. Um, with that, let's close it out. Thank you all for listening to us so much. We really appreciate it. Rate us on Apple Podcasts if you haven't already. Check out our merch store. Buy up some of the stuff there. It's pretty cool. Uh, follow us on the social medians and join our Patreon if you haven't already because we're about to go record a really good exclusive there about cocaine Mitch McConnell that you're not going to want to miss. Thanks, everybody, and have a great night. <laughs>